Que pasa, Mufasa? Welcome to the Micropreneur Podcast. Yo, we've got an extraordinary guest today, and we're going to dive into some heavy-hitting topics that you ain't going to hear about anywhere else but here, quite frankly. People of the world, rejoice. Today, we've got Wesley Saunders in the house. It's not just football, right? It's, it's actually a, a spiritual sport. You actually, you know, hand-to-hand battle combat with other men, and it's very take, it takes a toll on you mentally. Wes played for four seasons in the NFL, the National Football League. You ever heard of it? And on this world stage of modern-day gladiators, Wes experienced the culture of no pain, no gain at the highest level. And he's got some things to say about it. He's got some things to say about the culture of the NFL and the human impact and health hazards that it directly translates to for the athletes putting their health and lives on the line for our entertainment. He's also got a lot of other things to say about the alternative paths to wellness and vitality that he's leveraged to get where he is today. A healthy, inspired entrepreneur with a lot of irons in the fire and a growing portfolio of successful businesses in the alternative wellness space. No, this ain't the Jim Rome show. If Jim Rome starts microdosing, it might turn into something like this. But I'm not holding my breath. Thank you for joining us today. It's an absolute pleasure to host this podcast and build this platform alongside all of you. So without further ado, let's get the show on the road. K Pasa Mufasa Wesley Saunders. Welcome to the Micropreneur Podcast. How are things in Miami today, Wes? Dennis, I appreciate you having me, man. Things are blessed and lovely here in Miami today. A little gloomy, but you know, hey, that's nothing to, to frown about. Well, it's a pleasure to host you. And I've got to say, we've had many different world-renowned CEOs, entrepreneurs, media personalities on the pod, but you are definitely the first guest who's played in the NFL. So let's cut right to the chase. The world of professional sports is traditionally a highly regulated cutthroat industry that's often equated with being an alpha male, results-oriented business that doesn't have time for mushrooms and spirituality and yoga and shit like that. So when did your interest in mushroom medicines, spirituality, bodily autonomy, yoga, all of that good stuff first begin? Oh man, that's that's actually interesting you say that because the, the actual culture of the NFL is what pushed me to those things. You know, I think I had an overdose of alpha masculinity and uh, matter versus matter and everything being so hard and intense. And, uh, you know, my body was breaking down. So, uh, you know, I was about uh, 23, 24 years old. I had broken my foot twice in the NFL. Uh, I was a little heavier, didn't know much about uh, health and nutrition. I've always been a heavy guy. And, uh, you know, when I broke my foot, the the NFL doctors uh, immediately put me on Vicodin and uh, hydrocodone and, you know, painkillers that were not conducive to me and uh, playing on the field uh, at a high level. Um, and so, you know, once I saw the effects that those things were having on my body, um, I was looking for alternative methods. Like there's gotta be something else, you know, that can, that can help me, uh, get better and recover aside from the opioids that they'll give me. And so of course that started my journey uh, of research and finding uh, holistic measures to, uh, take care of myself. Sure. And you just tapped into it a little bit, but I'd love to hear about the drug culture in the NFL from your perspective, the training staff handing out pills, players getting shot up with Tordal to numb the pain, any number of other stimulants and substances in play. Can you speak to some of the adverse neurological and physiological effects that this, quote, legitimate pharmaceutical drug culture in the NFL and in professional sports 
may have had upon you and others in the league? Oh, yeah, absolutely. I've seen it uh, destroy many a, a great band. You know, these, these pharmaceuticals, they take a hold on you, uh, not just physically, but mentally as well, you know, to the point where you feel like you're dependent on them, where you feel like you can't go out there and perform unless you have that Toradol shot in the butt. And I'm talking about, you know, everybody's getting lined up for that shot before the game, the referees, the coaches, everyone, because, you know, who doesn't want to not feel pain for a, for a little while, you know, but obviously coming down from that is so detrimental. Uh, you know, you wake up two days later, you feel like you got hit by a truck and you're looking for anything that can help you. And, you know, you, you want to believe that these people who are in power have your best interests at heart. Uh, but once you start speculating and seeing the things that's going on, you realize that you kind of have to take your health and interests into your own hands because, uh, you know, contrary to popular belief, the NFL is one of the most corporate businesses I've ever seen, uh, you know, or I've ever been a part of. I didn't I never necessarily uh, equated football to being corporate. But, you know, when I got to the NFL, I realized it was very much a bottom line business. And, uh, you know, that's that's kind of you know, luckily I was able to uh, find my own path by way of uh, trouble. Actually, I got suspended twice by the NFL for performance enhancing drugs, uh, literally because I was taking things to try to counteract the opioids that they had given me. And so I did that. I took Adderall uh, my rookie year, which was a, uh, a banned substance if you didn't get it approved by the NFL. And uh, so I got my first four game uh, suspension, you know, by that, by that. And, uh, my second one came not not too long after that with methamphetamines and things that try to, you know, reverse the effects that the, the opioids were having on me. I was looking for literally looking for anything to, you know, save my career. And uh, a teammate had given it to me. And, you know, I was just young and dumb. And now looking back on it, you know, nine years, eight, nine years later, it was a blessing because that actually forced me to uh, figure out, you know, exactly what I was putting in my body, exactly what was on these ingredient lists uh, that were you know, out there for everybody to get their hands on. So, you know, it was a, it was a very much eye-opening experience for me uh, by way of the NFL. And lots of professional athletes and elite-level athletes are starting to turn on to the potential of microdosing fungi and power plants to help them in their training regimen and in competition. And numerous athletes have come out of the, quote, psychedelic closet, so to speak, to share their affinity for these plant medicines. I'm curious, were mushrooms and psychedelics something that you ever heard about athletes using when you were in the NFL? Absolutely not. No, yeah, I had, I, mushrooms was, was, was not on the table as far as what guys were doing uh, in their free time as far as taking care of themselves. Uh, but what I did find, you know, was that a lot of guys uh, relied on cannabis, you know, to, to help them after games and after practice. Now, me, I hadn't I, I had never smoked up until the point where I got to the NFL and I would always been scared of it. And, you know, thought I'd believe the, the hype and the propaganda of don't do drugs and you might get hooked. It's a gateway drug, all those things. And uh, when I got to the league, I saw some of some of your favorite players, you know, using cannabis uh, to deal with all type of ailments and pain uh, relief. And so, you know, guys who were looked at as, you know, the face of the NFL, I won't name any names, you know, because obviously uh, for their privacy, but, you know, guys who had a lot of respect in the league. And so that's what actually got me looking at things uh, from, a, from a different perspective. Like, hey, maybe, maybe I do need to uh, look at other met methods to take care of myself because one month into the league, you know, my body, I could feel it already. Like my body wasn't used to that uh, intensity. And so uh, 22 years old, that's what really got my mind open to, you know, cannabis and other methods of taking care of our bodies and you know by way of that you know once you start you, find, you figure out what's going on with cannabis it leads you down a, a long road of other beautiful uh 
remedies that nature has to offer. Well, one name we can shout out is San Diego native Ricky Williams, kind of the poster child to all that. Shout out Ricky, Patrick Henry High School. I'm a lifelong San Diegan myself. So I'd love to talk about CTE and traumatic brain injury because that's such an important topic that impacts so many NFL players. Specifically, I'm a native San Diegan, as I just mentioned, and Junior Seau is one of our local heroes. One of the greatest football players to ever do it was extremely beloved, had all the money, all the fame you could dream of in 10 lifetimes, but tragically committed suicide in 2012 at the age of 43. And his death was attributed to CTE, chronic traumatic encephalopathy, which unfortunately, this is not a unique story for NFL players. So I'm curious, do you feel that the holistic wellness approach that you've adapted in your life and that you bring to organizations and to people as a consultant and facilitator Is that better than the current pharmaceutical modality of treatment for high-performance athletes who have sustained chronic brain damage? Oh, yeah. I I absolutely think that's a a better preferred method uh, for these guys, not only because I've tried it and utilized it, but uh, because I've actually seen the other side of it, that, you know, the pills and whatever these doctors are giving us are usually just something to help us uh, treat it and get to the next day. You know, obviously, like Chris Rock say, there ain't ain't no money in the cure. Right. And so nobody we don't actually want to cure these ailments. We want to see how we can get the most out of our employees uh, by, you know, being able to actually make them sustain themselves uh, uh, throughout the season. So it's not really about they don't really have our best interests at heart. And so, you know, me realizing that it's really it's, it's not just football. Right. It's, it's actually a, a spiritual sport. You actually, you know, hand to hand battle combat with other men. And it's very take, it takes a toll on you mentally. And so, you know, a lot of guys. uh unfortunately get caught up in the aspect of just you know hard hitting and i'm just going to hit everything as hard as i can and you know that that's applauded in the nfl actually in all levels of football and so you know that reckless abandon for your body you're not taking into consideration because they've actually applauded you being reckless uh with your movements or trying to hurt people you know that you know those things get rewarded in in our in our field uh so i do see that that being a, a big issue with guys, even even guys that I know my age who, you know, maybe might lose a train of thought mid-sentence or might, you know, uh, they can't remember what they ate for breakfast yesterday. Like, these, I've seen real things happen. And, of course, you mentioned uh, Junior, but, you know, we've had many other guys uh, go, you know, uh, Philip Jackson in South Carolina who, who killed like five or six people before he killed himself. Never had any uh, issues before that. You got Jovan Belcher from the Kansas City Chiefs who killed his girlfriend and then killed himself in the parking lot of the facility. You know, like these things aren't normal, right? And then you got to take a step back and look at it like, well, football is not a normal sport. So, you know, you're colliding with people at pretty much the same speed as a car crash and you're doing that constantly for years on end. And, you know, what we know now about spirituality and the pineal gland and things of that nature we really understand that, you know, the brain's not supposed to be shaken up like that. You can cause serious damage when your electrical wiring is shaken up. And so, you know, I don't, I don't think that's taken into consideration enough. And of course, the more research I've done and all of the, you know, the settlements that the NFL has had off the field that we don't speak about, it's a much bigger problem than we actually uh, talk about. 
Well, that's why we're talking about it right now. I really appreciate that we're, we're getting into the depths here. So I've got to give a shout out to Adam Bramlage of Flow State Micro, who works with elite level athletes, including former NFL players, to help them tap into microdosing and personal wellness to elevate their game. So if you hated the questions so far, that's on Adam because he gave me a few of those questions. If you're liking the questions, that's all me, baby. That's that's the Michaelpreneur discourse. So y'all should definitely link up. So a lot of people don't know this, Wes, but I was I was actually a Division One athlete myself. I saw on to play college baseball at the University of San Francisco back in 2007. And within several months of the 4 a.m. wake-up calls, the most intense physical conditioning I'd ever experienced in my life, and the whole lifestyle adjustment of entering college, living on my own, and being right in the middle of San Francisco, a stone's throw from the hate, playing in a band, all of that, I quickly realized that the the collegiate athletic industrial complex and professional sports complex was not really for me. So I gave back all the Nike gear that they gave me and and uh, pursued the path that I'm still on today. So one thing I wanted to mention is that when I was in college, uh, that's when I was starting to get into you know some of these plant medicines and power plants, living in San Francisco, reading a lot about it, doing a lot of research. And a couple of times I microdosed or mini dosed and would play pickup basketball with some pretty competitive people. And I felt like it really elevated my game. Now, maybe that's just entirely subjective, but a lot of research is coming out. A lot of anecdotal evidence is coming out of people sharing their experiences, saying that these microdoses and these plant medicines, when utilized correctly and as part of a broader lifestyle shift, they can tap you into that animal instinct. And I felt like I kind of knew where the ball was going before it was going there. Or I kind of, when I'm boxing, you know, I'm an avid boxer now. If I'm microdosing in boxing, I kind of know what my opponent's doing as they're deciding to do it. And I'm an unabashed believer in that. So I'm just curious, do you, do you foresee or could you imagine a future in which the NFL and other leagues have to classify plant medicines and mushrooms as a performance-enhancing drug? That's interesting you say that. I, I, I would hope that we don't go that route only because the NFL has you know, finally legalized the use of uh, marijuana for players. And so I think that's going down the right track. So you know, if, you, if you're going to classify uh, marijuana as something beneficial for the players or something that you're not going to criminalize, then you got to do the same thing with uh, psilocybins and other plant medicines as well. So I definitely see uh, see guys going down that route, but not I, I definitely I don't mark my words on that because, you know, the NFL, Roger Goodell, those guys, they do whatever they want to do. So, you know, it could end up on the performance enhancing drug list, but let's hope not. Well, let's talk about the Wesley Saunders program because you've got a ton of amazing events and experiences dialed in for this year. And one of the experiences that you're offering I want to get into is this yoga retreat to Egypt in November 2022. Are you kidding me? How cool is that, dude? Can you give us a little peek behind the curtain of what you guys got cooking up for Egypt this year? Oh, yeah, man. That's amazing. I'm so excited about that. Shout out to my beloved friend and partner, uh, Christine Lewis, a.k.a. Spoken Word Yoga, who has brought me on to her program. She's facilitated many of these retreats all over the world, Bali, Thailand. And so, you know, we we connected uh, over the pandemic and, you know, it was just one of those organic things. And you know, she mentioned some opportunities she had for uh, retreats. And, you know, we work well together and we decided to come come together and collaborate with uh, an 11-11 nine-day uh, yoga retreat in Egypt, uh, Cairo. And we're actually going down to Aswan, but we also have a, a, a cruise down the Nile. We have, you know, excursions to the pyramids. We've got meditation, Reiki. We've got a little bit of everything. And, uh, you know, I'm really excited because, you know, I think people are yearning for those kind of experiences now. 
you know, after obviously these past couple of years where, you know, partying and things of that nature is starting to get mundane. They, they're looking for a, a deeper connection with themselves and maybe with their partner. And so uh, we're actually, you know, we're excited to say we're almost sold out uh, for, for, for the trip uh, coming up. And so, you know, it's, it's going to be big. I actually hosted a, a football retreat, uh, excuse me, a football uh camp out there in September or in August uh, with the Star Right Foundation out of Philadelphia where they just, you know, they just started up a women's football league out there and that's doing great. And the guys, you know, the people over there are really hungry for, you know, for sports and uh, a new way of living, you know. So some of these, as as we see, you know, some things kind of shuffling here in the U.S., other countries are starting to become stronger and, and a bit more progressive. And uh, that's very exciting to see. So I'm looking forward to Egypt. That sounds amazing, man. I actually had a trip to Egypt dialed in March 2020. And if anybody remembers what happened in March 2020, everything got canceled, dude. I had my flights booked. I had hotels. It was March 17th. And we started hearing all this news about the pandemic. And I was like, yeah, whatever. We're still going. Next thing you know, Israel's closed. Next thing you know, your Nile cruise is canceled. So that... I would I missed it by like five days, but it's still it's still on the radar. So I got to get over there for sure. And, you know, that experience is one of a number of different things that you're offering through the Wesley Saunders platform. Another one being West Juice. Now, I didn't do my homework on West Juice because I figured you could tell us about it. So what's going on with West Juice, man? How did that start? And uh, what is it? Appreciate that. Yeah. West Juice uh, got its inception. Uh, just by me being too fat, you know, obviously I had to look for some other methods to lose weight. I had done every diet in the book and, of course, everything that led me back to uh, the simpler methods w- was the thing that worked, right? So, like, once I understood, so, you know, if I found Dr. Sabi on YouTube uh, during actually one of my suspensions and started learning about, you know, plant-based dieting and, and fasting and things of that nature and uh, alkaline foods and you know how your body's uh, electric and you need to feed it other electric foods and so I started understanding the science behind it behind eating and not just you know it's just food right you gotta I looked at it from a deeper more spiritual level and so you know I, uh, I fell in love with the effects that the foods had on me so I would try you know I would blend up different uh, foods so kale beets ginger uh, grapefruit apple all of the any alkaline food I could find, I throw it in the blender and mix it up, and I finally was able to make a a great concoction uh, for for myself that made me feel great, and you know, obviously was able to give me energy and things of that nature, focusing on gut health, and of course, I wanted to help get my parents healthy back in North Carolina, you know, in the black and brown communities hypertension, high blood pressure, diabetes runs rampant. And, you know, me being from North Carolina, you know, the economy is run off the pig and tobacco, right? And so, you know, health is not the first thing on people's minds. So I knew I had to take the initiative uh, to do something different. And when I went vegan for a year, I lost 42 pounds and I, you know, the weight just flew off and I started thinking clearer. And I was like, you know, it became obviously my duty to get this kind of information uh, to everyone else who was in my circle. And so that started with my family. I started making the juices and even in, in, in the grocery store in North Carolina, I would have kale and beets at the checkout line. And people were like, you know, what are you doing with that stuff? And, you know, I would hear what other people, uh, what, what other people understood about health. And I realized I had a much bigger problem. You know, one lady even told me in line at one point, she saw me with a, a head of kale and she said, well, I heard kale gives you cancer. 
And I said, ma'am, who told you that? Right. You know, I getting deeper into and she was on 11 different medications. And so once she found out that I was making these juices for me and my family, she, you know, one of the people in line, like, I, I wish my son would do that for me. Like, I, you know, I wish some somebody would you know, tell me about these things. So, you know, that's kind of where it started. I said, OK, I got to start making these juices for more people. Got to get them to the masses. Uh, but unfortunately, it was just me, you know, I was, I was the only person in that company. So, you know, me making the juices by hand was an arduous task. And so I had to find, find out a way to make it more efficient as far as shipping and getting it to more people around the world and things of that nature. Because the results were the truth was in the pudding. People loved the juice. People, you know, ate it up. Uh, but of course, you know, being able to distribution aspect. And so uh, fast forward to the juice powder, my dear friend and mentor Dr. Charlie Ware here in Hollywood, Florida, who's an expert on epigenetics and acupuncture and all things health and wellness holistically. Uh, he helped me create uh, the West Juice that we know now, uh, an all-natural vegan powder daily supplement that has all types of great stuff in it, alfalfa powder, wheatgrass powder, MCT oil, things of that nature to help really boost the immune system and gut health. And so that's where we're at with it now. And I, I, I don't, I try, I, I'm not really big on the promoting and the marketing quite yet because, you know, I, I go about word of mouth, you know, people who really want to be on this journey and help themselves, they'll find me and they know, they know where to find me. They've seen the juice. So, you know, that's kind of where I'm at with it now and trying to get everyone healthy, man, Ho hopefully to get it into some schools soon for the kids. That's a noble mission. I used to be a high school teacher myself, and that was a huge blind spot. Is we had a 51% or a larger majority of lower socioeconomic status kids, and the food was a huge blind spot because even the people who qualified for free and reduced lunch, it was still one of those huge corporate contracts. And I can't say this for sure with our school, but I believe there are quite a few public schools in the U.S. who are contracting with the same food providers who give food to prisons and provide food for prisons. And that's some bullshit right there. So that is a huge need right there. It's like healthy food for the kids. So let's let's see if that happens, man. That'd be fantastic. Yeah, that's, that's, an, that's another point. And it wouldn't hurt to get it into prisons as well, right? These, those are people too. And they have, you know, their nutrition and their health matters as well because, you know, uh, I think far too long we've shunned them like they don't matter, right? But if you look at how things are run, the school system and the prison system pretty much run the same way here in the U.S. So It's insane. And I'm looking forward to hosting the co-founder of The Last Prisoner Project on the podcast soon. And they've got the very timely and, and, and purposeful goal of liberating everybody who's wrongfully convicted or convicted at large for cannabis crimes, because it makes no sense that we are selling and taxing cannabis and that people are becoming multimillionaires off of this. But we're still locking up people for cannabis and plant medicines and in some cases on felonies for, you know, 20 plus years in some extreme cases for life. So that's something we're going to start going into more on the podcast as I'm learning more about it myself. And I saw that you're also involved with an organization, Silent Victims, I believe. Can you please indulge us a little bit with some of the background of that organization? Absolutely. It, uh, it, it tells exactly what you, you just named right there. People who obviously these, these uh, uh, prison sentences that uh, have uh, harm the, the black and brown communities at a much larger rate that we see. And so Silent Victims of Crime is a wonderful organization that was started by uh, our good friend Paulette Pfeiffer, a.k.a. Tinkerbell, who's this four foot eleven fireball of a woman. Uh, she's 76 years old, Holocaust survivor, but she was once uh, working in the uh, court system in Anderson, South Carolina, and, you know, as an interpreter, and she basically would see these people getting locked up for, you know, various crimes. And uh, basically the court 
didn't really care what would happen to the children. She would ask, like, you know, what ha- you know, I know y'all busted down the door and y'all got the drug bust and you got the guy you're looking for, but he had three kids. What happened to the kids? And basically, uh, it was a resounding, we don't know and we don't care. And uh, and so she obviously, you know, once she saw that, she has a heart of gold and took it upon herself to start the organization there and basically take in some of these kids who were at risk obviously of going to prison behind their parents. I think there's like an 84% chance that they will end up in the penal system at some point if one or both parents goes to prison. And so those numbers are staggering, right? So if you look at it, that's, that's literally just feeding the environment, uh, feeding them right to where they're supposed to go. And so Tinkerbell stepped in, started this wonderful organization, and uh, it's been going on for about 25 years. And I stepped, we, me and uh, my, my woman, media, we stepped in uh, about four or five years ago, and it, it's been wonderful ever since. Like, these kids are amazing. We actually take them out of their environments and do you know, other fun stuff that they've probably never seen before. We've gone to the opera. We've gone to the museum. We've you know, gone to architects to figure out how to you know, do ground plans to build communities. And uh, it, it's, had, it's had major positive effects over the years. We actually haven't had any of our kids enter into the penal system since uh, Tinkerbell started. And now we're actually working on our second generation of families who are out of the prison industrial complex and, you know, going into a different direction. And so this, the, I'm working for working full time with the organization and uh, we're expanding right now. And of course, you know, a lot of these kids, parents who are in there are getting out now. And so now it's about reintegrating uh, the prison, the inmates with the families, uh, because that's something that obviously was constructed to tear the families apart. So I want to also shout out uh, my guy Legend and Amanda Tarver here in Miami. They run 300 Letters. Uh, they were actually uh, incarcerated together. They're they're married, but they were incarcerated together. And, you know, writing letters to each other and to their family was something that was huge. That was something that kept their morale up and going. And so they started their organization 300 letters and so we are you know working in, in partner with them about basically keeping the, f- the family ties together even if someone may be locked up there's still a way to keep uh, the connection there because you know I, th- I think that's that has far worse implications down the line splitting up the family and people feeling like they have nowhere to go and nowhere to turn to so that's that's pretty much what we focus on awesome thanks for sharing that with us and I, I believe it was one of the earlier podcast episodes where we talked about recidivism and how the high likelihood of people who have been incarcerated going back to prison because there's not a lot of meaningful work options or employers that will hire people. And it's just a really terrible situation all the way around that needs to immediately be addressed. And I think there is more attention and demand being put on the current systems to change. And as they rightfully should, it's long overdue for for an overhaul. It's kind of hard to do when uh, private prisons went on the stock market in 1984, right? And so you, know, the, you, you had to fill these beds with heads right that you, you got it's like a hotel so you, you got to keep people in there so you know I, I don't think a lot of these things were done on accident by any means uh but you know now i think we're we're finally starting to wake up and see how the whole game is being played well and people don't even learn about it you know as a middle class white kid growing up in san diego you don't learn shit about how the prison system works all you learn is that People get arrested, they did something bad, and they're in jail. And it takes the power of art and that grassroots community to learn about a lot of these things. You know, a couple Netflix documentaries coming out, and I've been involved with running projects with the high school kids where we were teaching about, you know, some of how impactful on black and brown communities that some of these prison sentences and the the whole way the system is set up can be. And it really just comes down to education, I think, that a lot of people, even if they should know better, 
they don't necessarily learn these things. So I'm, I'm glad to see cannabis entrepreneurs and people in this industry and with mushrooms and the psychedelic community start to really put pressure on some of these government criminal injustices that are being done to a lot of these communities. So thanks for speaking on that for a second. And I realize I hadn't even asked you yet, but have you personally tapped into the benefits of functional mushrooms and medicinal mushrooms and psychedelic mushrooms? And can you speak a little bit on that? I have, yeah. I, I actually tried it after my, my daughter was born in, in 20, my daughter and my son born in 2014. You know, shortly after that, I was out of the league, but, you know, still really focusing on health and medicine and things of that nature. And I was out there in Scottsdale, Arizona training and uh, I had a, a colleague of mine who was very much into uh, plant-based methods and, you know, had all the black seed oil and, you know, microdosing mushrooms. And, uh, you know, I, I was very uh, careful about when I tried it. You know, I, if I was scared of weed, I was definitely scared of the mushroom, you know, LSD, like all that, that whole world was just, was just different to me. My first experience with it, I was in solitude. I was in a nice safe space and I was able to just flow. And it took me to a place uh, that I didn't know my mind could go to. And, and I, I really, it's kind of hard to explain to people if they've never actually experienced it. Uh, but it was something that allowed me to find peace, but also I wasn't uh, totally aloof at the same time. And so after that experience, it was uh, January of 2015. After that experience, I had done it a few more times that year, but I, you know, once I looked it up and started seeing the effects of it and how uh, there are some people who only had to you know do it once or twice and they were healed of you know, PTSD or uh, sleepwalking or, you know, anxiety attacks and things of that nature. And I was like, oh, wow. So these are this is something that you don't necessarily even have to do every day, but it can have lasting effects on you, uh, f maybe even for the rest of your life. And so, you know, even, even me not being a huge uh, user of it day in and day out. Also, shout out to Christine Spoken Word Yoga again, who's going with me to Egypt because she's the, the mushroom queen. She's, uh, you know, actually getting me to on the side of, you know, being able to microdose once or twice uh, a week uh, because I do see the benefits of it. And, uh, you know, I'm, I'm really trying to be able to facilitated in a way where I can explain to other people what the benefits would be because I know what they do for me, but you know, sometimes they, they have different effects on different people. And I don't, if you're not ready to take it, if you're not, you know, if your mind and your spirit isn't in alignment, I, I often tell people to hold off for a while. Sure. And an interesting bit I want to touch on here is I just went to visit a well-known activist in the Mazatec community that's in the south of Oaxaca. And they're the ancestral guardians of the last known mushroom ritual going back to time immemorial. It's a very important sacred culture. Uh, it's the culture of Maria Sabina, who's known around the world. And the host that I stayed with is this guy, Inti Garcia Flores, very well known in the plant medicine and mushroom community. And he told me he hasn't eaten mushrooms in years because the mushrooms gave him all of the lessons and teachings that he needed. And now it's time just to focus on integrating them and living his life. And he's got, you know, three kids and he's married and, you know, he's a teacher of Mazatec history. And it's such an interesting perspective to hear that because so many people are of the other mentality where it's like, oh, I'm going to keep doing this. I'm going to keep going. But, you know, these people who were born with it in their culture and quite literally had their first mushroom experience at eight years old or 12 years old, they're telling us, no, nah, I'm finished with them. That was all I needed. And now it's just about living my life and putting the lessons into play. So speaking of integration, I've recently started a meditation practice. And it's something that I've tried for years to corral my frenetic energy and my wondering mind into a, a nice 
easy meditation practice where I can just let things settle and calm, but I'm just pretty goddamn hyperactive. I'm just pretty hyperactive, you know, always talking, always doing something. But I've started forcing myself to integrate meditation into my lifestyle and it's paying huge dividends. Specifically, I'm one of those people who's guilty of getting up in the morning and looking at my phone. And I started telling myself, that's that's not the move, man. You need to, you know, wake up and meditate for 10 minutes and like settle into the day. And the same before sleep. Like you don't need to be putting your phone down and going to sleep. Like that cannot be good for you. How about a little meditation? How about a little break between scrolling the timeline and sleep? So I saw that you are an ardent student of, med- of meditation and that you're an advocate for meditation. Can you walk us through a little bit of your meditation practice and how you integrate it into your life and you know how you found meditation and what's that look like for you? Absolutely, man, yeah. And I would say the, the psilocybin and the mushrooms helped me get a grasp on what meditation was supposed to be. You know, it just it's a word that people are throwing around quite a bit now, uh, but the actual meaning of it can mean, you know, a plethora of different things to different people. And so I had to realize what meditative practices were, right? And I was listening to Deepak Chopra, but I would also listen to, you know, Kobe Bryant, and they would talk about, you know, mamba mentality versus, you know, things of that nature. And I was like, you know, this this is something that I wanted to tap into because I, I, I've always been a, a stellar athlete, and I know that when I get on the field or on the court, I can take it to an, another level depending on, you know, a trigger that maybe, you know, somebody might say something about my mama or I might remember a thing that makes me go into another mode where I feel more powerful. And I always wonder, like, would I be able to do that with just my mind without, you know, without having to rear up my body and get the engine going? Would I be able to sit still and do that? And so uh, me, me starting to meditate, I just started, you know, watching uh, videos of people. I was, you know, Deepak Chopra was one of the first who, who, who I would, you know, kind of listen to and his voice was soothing and, you know, it would kind of guide me into uh, a method of being able to relax my mind and really just get, get the thoughts, uh, let, let the thoughts pass through. You know, I always assume that meditation was you just thinking of nothing for 10 or 15 or 30 minutes, but it's really just allowing the thoughts to enter your mind and pass through uh, as easily as they came and really not dwelling on it. And so uh, being here on the beach absolutely helped me. I do a morning meditation every day, walk out to the beach, get grounded on the sand, take some deep breaths. I had to start to understand that I, 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 one of my favorite books, The Science of Breath by Yogi Rama Sharaka. And he talks about, you know, literally how undervalued breath is. And so I didn't understand that until you know, I, I started breathing more and I was like, wow, I wasn't breathing enough before. And so uh, my meditations usually start uh, with breath work and being able to uh, literally fill my brain and my body with oxygen and then let everything calm down and be able to, you know, uh, navigate through the quantum, as uh, as Dr. Joe would say, because, you know, I realized that meditation is not just, you know, letting your mind still is really actually triggering the nerves and the membranes in your body to connect to a higher source and to another field that's really around all of us. Sure. And you just dropped a name that we talked a little bit about before the podcast, but Dr. Joe Dispenza, I used to live in Malibu and he was quite a popular figure in the more quote spiritual circles in those communities. And I definitely don't know a ton about him, but immediately that name resonates with me as someone that I know people who respect his work a lot. So how did you find out about Dr. Joe Dispenza? And is that, are his teachings something that you integrate into your lifestyle? Oh uh, yeah. My partner, uh, Media Joy, who's also a coach uh, here in, in Miami. She was, uh, 
really one of those people who's like you said, feel like that she's always got to do something. So she was always doing reading this this book and listening to these teacher and Eckhart Tolle and all of these people. And we, you know, I, I ran across Dr. Joe uh, becoming supernatural, and uh, and it blew my mind. Now this was after uh, I, I had read a book uh, by David Deere, The Way of the Superior Man, where I was already starting to practice, uh, I guess, meditative uh, techniques in the midst of chaos, right? Whether it be arguments or whether it be deals and things of that nature, because I think a lot of people think, you know, meditation is just you go somewhere and sit down and that's when you meditate. I'm like, no, you can have there are meditative you know, moments in, in the counteractions that you have with people. And so once I, I was introduced to Dr. Joe and saw some of the word wording he was using and, you know, uh, facilitating quantum physics and spirituality and those things combining. And I started to understand, you know, maybe is there something there that other people haven't been telling us before? You know, you usually think about religion as just one thing and, you know, there's a God and, you know, you pray to the God, but there's also a scientific aspect to it that definitely goes into in, into play. And I saw that he was starting to incorporate a lot of ancient techniques uh, because I've definitely been a follower of ancient Kemet and Egypt and, you know, these places where a lot of these Greek philosophers got some of their grandest ideas were from the Nile. And so I saw that he was get paying respect uh, to that aspect of it, right? The pineal gland and all of these, all of these signs that were left on the hieroglyphs. And so that was what actually attracted me to him was that, uh, you know, he was really telling it like it is. And also keeping it very simple. You know, these things were left on the walls for us to do. It's really not as complicated as you really, as you think it is. And here's how to do it. And so that was something that, that blew my mind. And it also blew my mind that, you know, there weren't as many people there, you know, it was all, you know, I think in Mexico, we had about a thousand people there, if that, and uh, even mentioning his name, you know, people didn't know who he was. Now that was 2020, two years have passed. And, you know, a lot more people know who he is now. And I'm excited about that. But I'm, you know, I'm just hoping that, you know, people are ready to receive the information that he's given out and not just trying to add on to some fad that they, you know, that they've seen on TV to say that, you know, check off their, 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 their list. Hell yeah. Well, next time you come down to Mexico to a Dr. Joe Dispenza event, hit me up. I might have to come link forces with you and get quantum together. So Wes, I really appreciate you coming on the podcast today, man. You're an extremely interesting person. I, I Immediately when I saw your profile and we started chatting, I was like, this dude's got an amazing life story. We got to get you on the podcast. We made it happen. But before we let you go today, we've already tapped into a few of the things you're working on with the yoga retreat and the meditation practices, the West Juice. What are some other projects that you're working on right now that you can share with us? Oh, well, I actually uh, I, I finished shooting a television pilot. Um, with Cirque Productions out of New York. Uh, the, I can't disclose the name of the show yet, but uh, it's actually being shopped around to several different stations. So hopefully that'll be out this summer. But that was my first time actually hosting a TV show. And uh, right now I'll be speaking at the Connecticut Barber Expo in May um, with my guys, Jay Majors and Pacinos. And uh, right now, you know, I'm just taking it easy, man, just letting everything flow, uh, attracting, you know, just seeing what's for me and what's not for me, man. I'm, I'm in definitely a flow state now. And I'm, I appreciate the fact that I was even able to cross your, your page, man. I love everything that you post. It's definitely something that needs to be said, especially from a guy who looks like you. You know, I, I, I like to talk about that, you know, part of my journey is, 
is the decolonization of the wellness industry. I've been, you know, uh, around a lot of these events and in Tulum and Cabo and all of these places. And I think there is starting to be some kind of centralized mindset about what this thing is supposed to look like and feel like. Like you even talked about the ceremonial cacao, like, you know, to the indigenous people, it's just cacao, you know. And so uh, I think we got to get back to the basics. And, you know, I'm enjoying running into people like yourself who's willing to speak out about what's right and actually, you know, do things with a good intention and a purpose behind it. So I appreciate you, man. Awesome. Well, thanks so much for coming on the Micropreneur Podcast. Everybody give it up for Wesley Saunders. You're a open invite anytime you want to come on if you've got something to discuss. I hope you have a great weekend and much love to you. Yeah, yeah. Dennis, man, much love, brother. Que onda, my friends. Gotta refresh the outro, too. So what'd you think of this episode? Drop us a line. Hit the DMs on Instagram at Micropreneur Podcast. Or dare I say, TikTok. Yes, we've been engaging in TikTokery as of late. And while I have your attention, Ego Death Magazine is actively soliciting content submissions and recurring contributor roles. Just take a look at the type of content exhibited thus far at www.egodeathmagazine.com to get an idea of what sort of materials we are looking to platform. So don't be a stranger. Bridges, not borders, baby. All right, you take care of yourself now. I'll be seeing you around. Ciao, au revoir, sayonara, and adios, motherfuckers.